So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this in God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke chapter 2. In regard to the matter of the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You're welcome, right? You're like, oh, I have no idea. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It says that they were living in Nazareth. Nazareth is far to the north of Bethlehem, maybe 70 miles. And they were living in Nazareth, and they made their way to Bethlehem, which is the place where Jesus was born. And Bethlehem is described in the passage we read as the city of David. It's the city uh, associated with David. It's where he lived. And, and it's an important city in the Old Testament. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What is it? Why does that matter? Maybe you've heard this phrase before. If you, ask to ha- <laughs> if you have to ask how much it is, you can't afford it. Ever heard that phrase? If you have to ask how much it is, you can't afford it. Here's the point we're going to discover about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. The powerful one is using the powerless one to accomplish his purposes. The one who is powerful is using the one who is powerless to accomplish his purposes. Look at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree came out from a guy named Caesar Augustus. How powerful is Caesar Augustus? He runs the known world. But look what he does. He decides that everyone should be registered. If you have to ask how much it is, you can't afford it. When you're counting up your pennies, what does that mean? You're worried about how many pennies you have. Maybe when you were a kid, you remember finding an object that you wanted to buy, and you would do anything to buy that object. When I was a kid, there was a pocket knife I wanted, and it far exceeded my current net worth. And so what I decided to do, as many children do, is you work odd jobs, you mow the lawn, you pick up the dog do, you, you help out family and friends, you beg, you know, whatever it takes, I need a couple of bucks, and then finally you have enough money to go down and buy this pocket knife, you go down, at the time it was G.I. Joe's, who remembers, all right, G.I. Joe's, so you go down there, and you pull out your entire net worth in a wad of ones, and then it's not quite enough, so you're scraping together all the pennies and dimes in your pocket, and you just get enough, right? So my entire life savings goes to buy this pocket knife. Right? Now, so is the price that they're selling it for fair? Of course it was. This is a fair price. It was an appropriate price. You might suggest, though, is it appropriate for me to spend my entire life savings on one asset? Maybe not. If you have to count up every penny you own to figure out if you can afford it, you can't afford it. And what we see Caesar Augustus doing is just that, don't we? He sends a decree out to make sure everybody is getting registered. What is he trying to afford? He's trying to afford what every powerful leader wants to afford. He wants to make sure he has power that isn't going to end, power that is growing, power that is unquestioning, 
The only way to find out if he has that power is to make sure everybody's in line. Let's get them registered. So even though you might think he's displaying power by forcing everybody to be registered, it's actually showing a little chink in his armor. He actually is showing a little bit of weakness because there must be something going on that demonstrates he feels his power might be come into question. So the census is meant to answer for Caesar, how strong am I? How powerful am I? By contrast, look at Jesus. Jesus the Son of God always has been and always will be, had planned on being born in Bethlehem since the beginning of time. It had been prophesied. It had been anticipated. And as his birth was approaching, he was living where? Nazareth. Nazareth is not Bethlehem. And Jesus is very precise. And Jesus is very powerful. And he's not worried about his power. So he uses Caesar Augustus to make sure he's in Bethlehem. So the most powerful one in the room, baby Jesus, uses the powerless one, Caesar Augustus, to make sure his purposes are completed. The seemingly powerful, that is Caesar, have no idea the kind of power that has just arrived on the scene in the creator of the world being born to a woman. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, helps us to recognize that Jesus is powerful always has been, always will be. Jesus as a fetus is more powerful than Caesar Augustus. And he was born in Bethlehem, which says to everyone watching, especially the people of Israel, he is not only powerful, he is your king. He is King Jesus, born in the city of David, more powerful than anyone else on the planet. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in power. Now, you might say, I'm reading it wrong. Pay attention. His family was destitute, maybe just slightly above the poverty line, if that. When they traveled there, their family was so important that they had to stay in a barn. I'm being sarcastic. Some of you, your sarcasm meter misses it. Uh, when I said that, what I was saying is they're actually not important. Okay, is the sarcasm translator helpful? So they're not important. They get there. They've got no family to stay with. There's no inn. There's no place to stay. They stay in a place to keep them out of the weather. They stay in a place where their animals can be tended. It's not awful. It's not terrible. But it is, in fact, a barn. And so this is not what you would expect, someone powerful to be born and placed in a manger when they're born. So his birth is humble, yes, but this is exactly what had been prophesied since the beginning. His birth is glory-filled in the fact that his glory and power is hidden and that only those who would have faith to believe would see it. His birth was filled with glory and filled with power, and the only ones who would see the glory and power is those who would believe to see it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in glory and power. The question is, do we believe it? Do we think Jesus went from rags to riches, or do we recognize what the Bible is really saying? He started powerful, he stayed powerful, he always has been powerful. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the way that this story is told is intended to get us to see with eyes of faith. Do we believe this Jesus, born to this family in this barn, is the king or not? Or do we believe Caesar Augustus in this part of the story is the only one showing any real power? 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What does faith mean? Faith means we have the ability, by God's grace, to see the power in Jesus' birth. That is this. We can have hope because he is powerful. If he is powerful enough as a baby to make sure he is born in Bethlehem, he is powerful enough to save you from your sin by dying on the cross for you. If Jesus was the victim of happenstance, he is not strong enough to save you. But Jesus is not the victim of a happenstance. Jesus has been in full control the whole time. And Jesus, when we see it through eyes of faith, we see him precisely where he meant to be, and no one could stop him. And this powerful one is worth believing in. Can we trust Jesus, who was powerful enough to be born in a barn in Bethlehem? question is this, who would worship him in this time? Who would give him esteem in this time? Who would see this humble baby and be excited about it? Well, you know who. Who? Shepherds. Shepherds would worship him. Shepherds like their king. David would worship a king born in the barn. Shepherds would worship one who came to save them. Why? Because shepherds knew they needed saving. Shepherds above all else during that time with their reputation, which they would have agreed in, agreed with, shepherds knew they needed a savior because their life demonstrated they needed a savior and there was no hiding it. So in regard to the matter of the birth of Jesus, first he was born in Bethlehem, second he, Jesus, was worshipped by shepherds. I'm going to continue reading verse 8 of Luke 2. You can follow along with me if you want or you can just listen. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Jesus was worshipped by shepherds. Now, one of the more popular things people do nowadays when they're opening Christmas presents is they video their children opening presents, especially if it's that one present that they think is going to generate a really, really a good reaction. You know, everybody's chipped in maybe and bought the kid the one thing that they really wanted. And, um, and, and so everybody gets their phones out. Of course, now the kids know something big is happening. Uh, either they want to video me excited or they want to video me crying in disappointment. But either way, something's about to happen. 
uh, and so you, you video the kid, and they open it up, ah, and they freak out. And if the freak out is really freaky, then you put it on your Facebook, and, and it gets a bunch of likes, and it goes viral, and you get interviewed on NBC Today Show. That's how that works. I think that's what people uh, want to do. It used to be when I was a kid, you just opened a gift and got excited. Uh, now it's a whole different ball of, game, ball, of wax, ball of wax. Okay, so what the kid opens it, and the person watching the person watching the kid open it is, is just as excited as the kid, right? If you've been in that, you're like, I can't wait till they open it. And then they open it, and they're excited. And, then, and when they get excited, it makes you feel good. You get excited because they're excited. In fact, if they don't get as excited as you had hoped for, it kind of makes you feel a little disappointed. You hide it because you're a grown-up, and you learn to hide your feelings. <laughs> Different sermon. Moving on. <laughs> so they open it. So let me, let me put it this way in thinking about the shepherds. Worship. What, whatever you think of worship. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word worship. Worship, if we can say it in the simplest terms, is merely a response. God does this, we do this. That's all the shepherds were doing. doing. These weren't religious people. These were uh, Pharisees. These weren't priests. These weren't Levites. They weren't trained in religion. God did this, and they said, yay, God. That's worship. Worship is God doing his thing. We see it as good, and we get, it ex- get excited about it, and that excitement comes out as worship. And that's what these shepherds were doing. They were saying to God, this is good news. And the recipients of the message were a part of the message. The angels are showing up to shepherds to tell them, I have good news for you, And when we look at the shepherds as the recipients, that tells us something about the message. In fact, I'll say it to you. It's this. The message is good news for shepherd kind of people. The the, the message is good news for people who need this kind of news as a message. Many people would hear the message of the angels and not think it's great news. But the shepherds hear this message from the angels and they say, that's good news. That's something we can get excited about. The angels say, go see the baby. They see the baby. Now they realize this isn't just a message. This is happening. And they get excited and they worship God because they can't believe the good news that they have been given. The angels were given one job by God. Sometime in heaven. God gave the angels a job. And, they said, and he said, here's your job. Go to those shepherds and I want you to do something. I want you to tell them something that will make them happy. You can't imagine God doing such a thing, can you? That's not God. I've read the Old Testament. When God says for angels to go do something, it always goes something like this. It starts with the word smite. And then once he's done smiting, he's going to smote. And God doesn't do things just to make people happy. Have you not read the Bible? He's upset about something. And we we need to figure out how to keep this guy from being so upset. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says angels to shepherds for no other reason than to make the shepherds happy. You don't believe me. Look in your Bible. Verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, I bring you good news. What are they bringing them? Good news, it's not a trick question. I'm bringing you good news. It's just a message. I got good news for you. Good news, bad news? Nope, just good news. 
Then they tell them how they want them to respond. I have good news of great joy. I've got good news for you. We're really hoping you're happy about it. Are you from God? Yes. Are you sure he's not grumpy? Are you sure he's not? What's the catch here? Angels, just want you to be happy. There is today born for you in the city of David. Ding, ding, ding. The king is here. He is your savior. He is your savior, shepherds, with your terrible reputation. And shepherds, just so you know, your reputation, you have it for one simple reason. You deserve it. Everything that you have reportedly done, you have actually done. So it's actually not your reputation. It's just accurately depicting your life, which is a train wreck. The Savior has come for you, shepherds, and we want you to be happy about it, to be joyful in the fact that the Savior has showed up. In fact, we want you to be so joyful the Savior has been born in a manger. Do shepherds know a thing or two about mangers? Yes, they use them day in and day out. So now they get the message, the Savior has been born to us. He wants us to be happy that he's born. It's good news. And not only that, he came to a place where we can walk in. We don't have to worry about getting our clothes dirty. They're already dirty. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to fit in. We fit in. We're shepherds. The message was tailor-made for shepherds, and they responded in worship because the message was tailor-made for shepherd kind of people. That is, people who just need good news that the Savior is here. What would bring joy for shepherds? A Savior who would forgive them and give them peace with God. A Savior who would forgive them and not ask them to measure up. A Savior who would just simply take care of all the disobedience in their life. How did the shepherds respond? Look down at verse 20 of Luke chapter 2. If you have it open, if not, I'm going to read it. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They returned, and they were told by a religious leader, at this time you need to rise and give glory to the Lord. Is that what happened? No. They were just rising and glorifying God because they felt like it, because a Savior showed up. How their response comes from inside of them. God gave them news that gave them joy, and they worshiped. God had called them shepherds of all people, and they said, I believe you, God. I think you can save me. I've seen a baby in a barn, and it was just like the angel said, I think you can save me from my sin, and they worshiped God. Jesus was worshiped by shepherds. We might say it this way. The undeserving, that is, who know they don't deserve God, those who know they don't measure up, those who are lousy at being good and really good at being bad, when good news shows up, these people worship. Because would God really come to someone like me? Would God really give me hope? However, the deserving, the well-behaved, the well-mannered, the religious, God shows up and says, I will forgive you of your sin. And those of us in that group say, I'm not sure that I need that. I mean, what I really need, I think I'm a pretty good person, so I think I'm 90% home. Jesus, what you could do, you know, how about you just finish off that last 10% for me? That would be great. That person will have no joy in this news. In fact, this news is bad news. Think of this religious person. The shepherds show up and stand before God, along with this religious person, and God looks at the shepherds and says, what's up, my homies? You're, you're here. 
You believed. You're righteous. Get in. Now, and the religious person is saying, listen, I don't know if I want heaven if those kind of people are getting in. Good news. You're not getting in, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's terrible, but it's truth. Jesus is not good news if you deserve Jesus. But if you're a shepherd kind of person, you wake up in the morning and say, I don't deserve Jesus again today. Good news. God has given you a message, and it's not a to-do list. It's a be joyful list. He saved us. For no other reason in Luke 2 that we might feel happy about it. There's no catch. I bring you a message of great joy. That's the catch. God just simply wants to video us and put us on his Facebook. Not really, but you know what I mean. God, you would say someone like me? That gives me joy. Does it give you joy? Shepherd kind of people hear the good news that Jesus saves sinners like us, and we have great joy. In regard to the birth of Jesus, first of all, he was born in Bethlehem. Secondly, he was worshiped by shepherds. Thirdly, Jesus was sought by outsiders. We're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus was sought by outsiders. Let me read it. Pretty long section. I'm going to read it anyway. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, pause here for a minute. We don't know how long. We know it was after. There you go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. In regard to the matter of the birth of Jesus, Jesus was sought by outsiders. Probably, in my view, the greatest outsider in all of the Bible is a woman named Rahab. If you remember the story, the people of Israel in the Old Testament had uh, invaded Canaan, and Jericho was the first city that they were going to conquer, and God had given them instructions, walk around the city once per day for six days, on the seventh day, walk around this city seven times, then give out a big shout, and the walls will collapse, go in and burn the city, kill everybody. 
before this had happened, some spies had come into the city from Israel, and Rahab had welcomed them, and Rahab had helped them on their journey. And this is what it says about Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Rahab says this to the spies, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab the outsider, the Canaanite, the non-Jew, is seeking out the people of God because the people of God is the place where salvation lies. And she says, give me a sign, and they give her one. Tie the scarlet cord in your window. Here is the sign that you are now with the people of God and safe with the people of God. Jesus was sought by outsiders because outsiders seek him, insiders miss him. Rahab saw the hope that was in the people of Israel, but if you read Israel's history, most of Israel missed the hope that was in the people of Israel. Outsiders seek the Lord. Insiders miss him. Outsiders see the Lord and say, I need his help. Insiders see the Lord and say, I want him to bless what my life is already about. The wise men came and they sought the Lord because their life needed to be of the Lord. The insiders, Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees, saw the Lord and they were going to wait and decide if he fit or not. The fundamental purpose of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God welcomes outsiders, those who are outside relationship with God. In fact, God seeks relationship with outsiders. Jesus leaves the throne room of heaven, comes to earth. Everybody's an outsider because all of us have lost our relationship with God because of our sin. And Jesus says, all who are outside who see me and want to come into relationship with God can seek me and find me. Jesus is for those on the outside. Insiders aren't seeking Christ. Insiders already have a pretty good life. We've got a pretty good job. We've got a pretty good religious system. We've got a pretty good ranking in the social scale. We feel like we've got our life pretty well dialed in. For the most part, everything is okay. In fact, if I'm going to let a little Jesus into my life, it's just to fill in the cracks that feel a little loosey-goosey. There's a few areas of my life that don't fill me up quite as much, or a little bit of anxiety and worry about the future, and just a little bit of things that make me wonder what the future might hold. So I want to keep just enough Jesus in my life so the life as I have seen fit will stay together. Sprinkle a little fairy dust on, of Jesus on my life, and now all of a sudden it's got a sense of significance in the eternal. Jesus has no interest in making your life feel significant outside of him. However, outsiders, you say, my life is bankrupt, and I need life that matters, will leave their homes and seek out this Savior. And they will bring their treasures and say, Jesus, my life is forfeit. All that is mine is yours. My heart is yours. My worship is yours. My time is yours. Because I need you to be my life. I don't need you to fit in my life. Jesus was sought by outsiders, and outsiders find him. Think of the Magi showing up in Judah. They look different. They dress different. They talk different. They probably eat different kinds of food than the people of Israel are used to eating. 
and the Messiah born in the city of David is for them. Now, to your regular Hebrew person reading this, this would be deeply offensive. No, no, no. Born in Bethlehem, son of David, we'll let the outsiders know if they can come, come in and have a piece of the action. He's our Savior. And Jesus makes it very clear from the beginning, he is the Savior of the outsider. Those who aren't on the in-group. Those who aren't in the club. Those who don't have the ranking. That is who he has come to save. Because he is a Messiah from the outside who has come to us and said, who wants to join my family? He is not from us. He is holy. He is perfect. He is other. He affirms himself alone. He is living to glorify himself by saving us. So he calls us out of our lives into his eternal life. Jesus was sought by outsiders. And they worship him. They acknowledge that he is Savior, that he is creator of the universe, and they honor him with worship. Outsiders are now in with Jesus. Where are the Pharisees? Where are the scribes? Where are the religious leaders? Where are the political elites when these magi from the east show up? They don't have time. Because their life is already pretty good. Their life is pretty good. If anything, we just hope Jesus makes sure that everything stays exactly the way it is. And Jesus has no intention of doing that. In regard to the matter of the birth of Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem. Just a couple of things end with a question on this. Jesus is king. Being born in Bethlehem, that makes Jesus king. Makes him king of Israel. In fact, he is king of the world. He is king of everything. So here's the question you have to ask yourself in regard to the matter of the birth of Jesus. Do you want a king or do you want a genie? Do you want a king who calls you to worship him and calls us to abandon our kingdom to pursue his much better kingdom? Or are we looking for a genie who is really, really powerful but basically exists to do what we want? Jesus is not your genie. Jesus is king. And he is calling for us to worship him as king. Second, he was worshiped by shepherds. That is, Jesus is a savior from our sin and rebellion. To be a shepherd kind of person, you have to come to grips with the fact that your life is characterized by sin and rebellion. And some of us are saying, well, sin is kind of a religious word. What is, what is sin exactly? This is not complicated. You're asking that question because you want to get out of something. You know I'm right. All right, okay. Sin is the naughty stuff you do. And you say, well, how do I know if it's sin? Easy, piece of cake. Would you put it on your Facebook wall? If you would type, I just, dot, 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 and you're a little bit not sure if you should put that, then maybe we're in an area where your conscience is challenging you. Okay? So Jesus is a savior for sinners. The Bible says, while we were sinning, Christ died for us. Jesus comes to seek out not the good people, not the people who have their act together, not people who keep their nose clean. He comes for shepherds, the kinds of people who, if told they need to be forgiven, would say, oh, I, you have no idea. I need forgiveness like nobody's business. Jesus comes for those kinds of people. 
But for those kinds of people, we receive forgiveness when we put our faith in Christ. We are filled with joy because that is because good news. Jesus forgives sinners like you and me. He was sent to make it possible for all our sin to be cleaned and washed away by the blood of Christ on the cross and by his resurrection so that we might have joy and so that we might realize we don't have to feel guilt and shame any longer because he has forgiven us. Do you want a savior or do you want religion? Now, when I say that, many of you say, oh, I don't want religion. Religion is boring. Now, easy. Religion is just simply this. Religion is just any sense in my mind that I can know God because I'm getting my act together. Religion is just saying, if I do this and I do this, I know that God will do this. If I say no to the bad stuff, if I say yes to the good stuff, God will give me all the stuff I want. That's religion. If I do things God's way, he will give me the good stuff. If I do things wrong, he's going to punish me. And the cross gets staked right in the middle of that and messes that all up. And we do good stuff because we worship God. And when we do bad things, his grace keeps flowing. Do you want a savior who just forgives you? Or do you want religion where you have to earn favor with God? Finally, Jesus was sought by outsiders. Jesus is God. His ways are not your ways. When it comes to Christ, here's the question you need to ask yourself. Do you want a savior or do you want a social club? Do you want a savior or are you hoping just to get together with people who have similar values as you, similar cultural backgrounds as you, people who vote the same way as you, people who do the same kind of fun activities as you, people who parent the same way as you, People that grandparent the same way as you. Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for a club? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And I don't, all the church people, don't listen because this will offend you. As far as clubs go, church is kind of lame. Like, there are, there are a lot better clubs. Okay, there are clubs where you can row, I guess. There are rowing clubs. There's clubs where you can yacht, if you can afford that. There are civic clubs where you can hang out with politically important people. I, I hear that's fun. Allegedly, they probably eat nice. The body of Christ is a little bit different. It's a bunch of people that get together on Sunday and say, yeah, I still need a Savior. Yeah, I still don't have my act together. If you got your act together, honestly, you don't need to be here. Now you realize what you said when you showed up. You wish you hadn't. It's a club where we get together and on purpose say, if Christ is for outsiders, then we should be for outsiders. And when people come in and make us feel uncomfortable, we get excited because that means the gospel must be doing something. If outsiders are showing up, that means something must be happening because Christ is the savior of the outsider. Jesus is God. His ways are not your ways. Do you want a savior or do you want a social club? If you want a savior, good news. Jesus saves sinners. And he calls to the outsiders, the people who don't fit in, the people who are a little bit weird and awkward, people who have some sin issues and some history that they're not proud of. And Jesus says, you're my people. Come on in. In regard to the matter of Jesus' birth, he was born in Bethlehem. He is worshipped by shepherds. He was sought by outsiders.